Hi, I'm Catherine. And I'm Sheila. And we're taking you through private eyes. Hi, this is Sheila Wysocki. I became a private investigator because of my college roommate's brutal rape and murder in Dallas, Texas in the 80s. Unfortunately, she opened the door one night to a man I refer to as the beast and the consequences of that. She was doing nothing wrong. She just opened the door was a man taking out a knife and stabbing her so much that he broke her spine and the stab wounds were so horrific that the first responder thought her heart was cut out and laid on her chest. Angie's case went cold until the early 2000s. And through a series of events, I called the Dallas police and found out from that very first call that nobody had called in 20 years. And I think that's the most devastating part of the story is that nobody called to find out who murdered her because her life mattered so much. I originally reached out to the detective I worked with when the case first started, and he didn't call me back. And I kept calling and calling to the point where the nickname that I received from the Dallas Police Department was PETA, pain in the ass if you don't know what that means. Back then, they didn't have a cold case division. So I started making call after call, trying to get someone to answer questions I was lied to. They told me that the evidence was lost and there was a flood, which there was a flood and some evidence was lost, but not Angie's. Luckily, a woman named Linda Crum, who was a detective, called me. She opened the file. She got the evidence. The evidence was sent away for DNA testing and we got a hit. The person that they got a hit on was a serial rapist now convicted murderer. He was convicted in 2010. From that case, I was going to retire my license, but somebody had done a story on it. And then I started getting, I started getting mail from families wanting help. And of course, I talk about this. I was so stupid back then. I had gotten my PI license. I worked under a private investigator. I learned a lot, but there were things I was really dumb about. When I started getting letters, I was like, how do they know where I live? Families needed help. And I started helping them. So I did not retire my license. I am now helping families that are in the worst situation nobody was listening to that have cases that need to be looked at. From that case, I started helping other victims' families with their cases, mainly cold cases. I get the more complicated cases with many, many layers. Networking and associations are important in our profession. Whenever I need help on a case, I will post on an investigative board. I had a case out of Austin, Texas. One of the boards I posted help on was NALI. National Association of Legal Investigators, an association I share a membership with Catherine Mayer. Catherine responded to the email and I immediately called her. Now, 
I will say this so the audience does know I vetted her before I emailed her back or called her back. I checked with some other investigators that I respect because they knew her, knew her work and the quality of work, and she passed. And so here we are today doing this podcast that I will say I couldn't have picked a better group to do it with. Uh, We have Danielle, who is my right-hand person, and Catherine. So you're going to hear Danielle kind of like a peanut gallery speak up. (laughs) With an opinion here or there. And then Catherine. Catherine works what I consider the opposite aisle. Yeah, I come from such a different background. Um, First of all, I love hearing your story of how we met and that you had to bet me. I think that's hilarious after the fact. So I, yeah, I had heard of Sheila. Obviously, she's had a little bit more forefront in uh, in the media and other podcasts that I had listened to. And I responded to that listserv email just saying, well, I'm here and I know her, you know, vaguely and I can probably help out. So when she called me that night uh, and we kind of just chatted for a bit, I think it was the rest was history, even though, again, I'll explain the whole opposite side part that she says, but... I do think that um, we work well together. So now we're working on a case together and uh, we wanted to start this podcast and it's, we'll explain what that'll be about in a minute. I am a licensed investigator in the state of Texas and I do death penalty mitigation. My firm is based in Austin and I do and employ death penalty mitigation specialists, so social workers and other investigators that I license under my license. And we do basically everything criminal defense related. So got Sheila over here who started her career by solving cold cases and helping victims' families. Obviously, mad love for that and respect. Uh, I come from such a different, less exciting background, uh, more from an academic side of things. So I went the more formal route of going to college and grad school. My graduate, my graduate degree is a master's in forensic psychology. I started by just kind of working in the capital litigation unit in Northern Virginia while I was simultaneously trying to become an FBI agent, by the way. That's why I went to grad school in DC, just like anyone who goes to DC trying to get into some sort of criminal justice field. Anyway, I realized that I absolutely loved the mitigation aspect of things. I had no idea what it was. It was super interesting to me. And it kind of felt like where I belonged. So not that I was going to become an FBI agent. They probably would have never accepted me. But I've luckily decided to abandon that idea and go full on criminal defense. So when I graduated from grad school, I moved down to Miami for an in-house position with the Capital Litigation Unit in the Miami-Dade Public Defender's Office, where I basically just learned everything I needed to before uh, going out on my own. And that's when I got my private investigator's license on top of doing mitigation. So long story short, 
hated Miami. No offense, but I'm allowed to say that because I'm from there. Didn't love living there anymore. Heard Austin was fun and cool and moved my practice out here where I now have about seven employees. And we kind of run this uh, all-female firm. Not that that matters, but we do everything criminal defense related from fact investigation all the way through sentencing. When Sheila and I began to know each other or learn about each other, man, it just opened up an entire other world that I never really considered. And I think it's ironic that she started her career by getting someone sentenced to death. And I've spent my entire career keeping people from getting sentenced to death. And here we are talking on this podcast. But I think that brings us to our next point about why we wanted to do this and just kind of talk and banter back and forth. You and I can agree to disagree and still be friends. Right. Yeah, I agree. I think that we really do have differing opinions and we come from completely opposite sides in terms of experience. Obviously, we think similarly and we work well together and there's a lot that we have in common and that we do agree on. However, we're both licensed private investigators. We work different angles of a case and we disagree on a lot, but we come from our experiences have been completely different. And I think that that adds value in this arena where we can talk about stuff and agree to disagree and just kind of shed light on the whole spectrum of criminal investigations as a whole. When I say that, I mean, whether you're working cold cases for the victims, wrongful convictions, post-conviction, criminal defense, whatever the case may be, any aspect of criminal investigations, I think we cover it here. What do you think? I agree with you. There are two important things I want to bring out also is neither one of us comes from law enforcement background. Yeah. And our methods are different, even though the system is similar, we have different tools that we use in order to get to the truth. Now, when I get to the truth, I try to get someone convicted. You're on the side that once they're convicted, make sure that their sentencing is correct. And we've spent many hours in a car together, actually all three of us, some of us screaming while other people are driving, but <laughs> but when I work an investigation on a pretrial, I'm going out and interviewing the complaining witnesses and all of the witnesses to whatever crime took place in the moment, in immediately after a crime. I've been on crime scenes d- a day, two days later, and I'm getting surveillance on the streets you know, out front of a shop where murders have happened. So that's immediate hit the ground running. You know, the attorneys appoint me right away to those cases. But the post-conviction or doing post-conviction is more like cold cases. Now that you've worked with me a little bit. I would compare it more to that than it would. It's just in the sense of it being like people are older and harder to find. And the memories are different. And, you know, you're re- it's a lot of reading because you're re- having to read someone's entire 
pretrial, an attorney's entire case file, right? Prior to conviction, and then an entire court transcript, piecing all of that together to then be able to do a better job. And that to me is not as exciting as being out in the field, like immediately when a crime takes place and interviewing the witnesses when things are fresh and that kind of thing. So how has it been working a cold case going back through and asking people, we've worked one recently and asking people about their memories and their emotions. Hasn't it been life-changing a little bit? It has. And what's interesting is I don't have a thing to compare it to. So the most challenging part for me is gauging whether or not people are honest in a moment, because at what point do your false memories become real memories? And then you're talking, you've told the story for 30 plus, however, however many years, and that's become the truth to you. So it comes off as true to me. I believe everyone that we've interviewed. And I struggle with knowing whether or not it's the truth because it could to them have been adapted as true at some point along the way. I'm using that now as as my, okay, you have a lot to learn when it comes to cold cases. And that's just not my bread and butter. Glad I have you. Well, I think when we get into the car and you and I are disagreeing about were they telling the truth or not, I always take a different stance than you. You have a kinder heart than I do, I think. Well, thank you. (laughs) You only say that because I'm saving criminals. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm not saying it because of that. Here's the thing that I think is so interesting is you and I disagree on certain things recently about body language. Mm -hmm. I think body language when people are talking is important. Now, you have said it's been disproven. I disagree with that. I know the articles you're going to cite, but do you know the motive behind those articles? No, I think that there's, I mean, what articles am I going to cite? There's so many. I figured you would. (laughs) I mean, of course I have articles that I could cite, but I think as an overall science, unless you know for a fact, it's just junk science. It's not, there's no mathematical, it's, it's open to interpretation is all I'm saying. So who's, in, who's the interpreter? Who makes them the judgment of someone else? And how do they know what that person's traumas are? What their weird tics might be? What happens to them when they're nervous? What, what you know what I mean? Like there's, what if they're autistic? At what point, and I don't trust people how the hell do you know what I'm talking about with my body? Like that to me is crazy, crazy talk. Now, does it mean that people have been convicted and some body language expert said that they knew? I don't just don't really understand how that works. So let me let me say that I think it's what is very- happening to me. <laughs> you're breaking out as you're. Because I'm right about this. That's why I saw that. I was like, she's getting hives. Oh my God. (laughs) It's been happening. Like, for I also am getting a headache for some reason. Oh, because I'm I'm wearing you. Here's the thing, though, Catherine. I think that one benefit as an investigator is being aware of people's reactions. And I also think it's a benefit being a female, being in tune to your emotions 
If you ask somebody about a murder, there should be some sort of emotions. If there's nothing, that gives me pause. But not not saying everybody, I agree with you, not everybody is the same and they've got their own backgrounds. But before we go in, I know their backgrounds. I know their social media. I know what they're doing now and what they were doing 20 years ago. But have you seen them respond to all types of situations verbally and through body language for a historical enough a period of time that you can be somehow the judgment of their reaction and then determine whether or not they're guilty? Okay, great question, because that's not my job. Uh, my job is to figure out if they're telling the truth and what information I have. So there's always a baseline question. Okay. And we're talking about investigating and using that as a tool to judge someone's or judge someone's veracity. Exactly. Okay. When we started this conversation through text message a week ago, I was more talking about like, there's people out there that claim to be experts in this. There are people out there that I think are experts in it. Okay. Well, I think that those people are crocs of shit. (laughs) Okay. So do I think that investigators should maybe keep in mind and be aware of all factors so that it can help perhaps mold their opinion on whether or not someone is telling a truth? Certainly. But someone who tells me that they can say if someone's guilty or not based on their body language is full of shit. Well, come at me. (laughs) So I'm not going to go down that road with you because that's not my job. My job is to gather the facts and the information. I'll use the example of interviewing. I, I need to be careful. You and I interviewed not an actual witness on our list, but somebody who wasn't on our list. And then later found out the information that was given was false. How shocked were we to have that? But we didn't have a background on the witness or the person. We didn't have what I normally have a packet on people. Right, right. That's true. Here's what I will say, just to challenge one in one more area. Every person sees the world through their own eyes and is based on their experiences through life, right? As we have just explained how you and I have come to this point through completely different lenses. With that, you bring judgments and and things that allow you to make decisions about what you think, feel, how people are telling the truth. It differs from person to person. And so that to me is where the challenge lies when it comes to body language. The way that I have, the people that I surround myself with are probably more like-minded. I'm in a bubble of people that I get along with. And because we have perhaps similar responses to things, we agree on things, right? Like our lives are probably aligned in some way, socially, uh, whatever. When you bring all of your own shit to someone who you don't really relate to completely, and you're using that to judge whether or not they tell the truth, not understanding how they have come to where they are in their lives. That to me seems like a very slippery slope. So 
I'm not saying that it can't be utilized, but I do think that it's it can be dangerous if you if you if you aren't considering that if you aren't considering that you're bringing your own judgments and biases to that decision. Okay, we're going to bring on a body language. Love that. That is, we're going to have to do that, and you can debate them, but I I think the bottom line for me is it's a tool to use while you're interviewing. Let's say someone starts breaking out in hives. You know something's going on. Am I lying? Recent <laughs> <laughs> <Every Decent> point, <laughs> audience. <laughs> you know, so, you know, I think it's important to see how they react to a question. For instance, did you murder that person? That is a yes or no question, correct? It is. But if what you- if they like look up and to the right? Does that mean they're lying? I'm not looking at that. I'm listening and watching their body. Yes or no. If you were asked if you murdered someone, I'd be held to the no. Of course. If somebody is skirting around it and they're fidgeting, I'm going to take that into consideration in my report. You're talking about a tool and that I I completely am on board with the tool. When you talk about it as a science, that starts to irk me. Ooh, we're going to have to have conversations of all the science, handwriting analysis. And here know. we go. It's been, <laughs> we're on our another two. Poor Danielle. <laughs> I know she's probably got to leave in a minute. It was like, this is going to be real quick. Here's the outline. Four questions. Listen, you and I could literally go on forever. So the reason you and I decided to do a podcast is because we're on opposite sides. Yeah. I think that there's a couple of different things. We're both business owners. We're both female. We both don't come from law enforcement. And we, again, cover kind of really every opinion that's possible, (laughs) especially when it comes to different opinions. But I think that we really wanted to just kind of shed some light on what criminal investigations entail and all the things that we think about and talk about. And then how we uh, how we agree, how we disagree, and that we remain friends. They're pointing at topics, I think. We hope to have people on, experts, potential people involved in some of our cases. And I think it will be really interesting, fruitful for people to learn from. And also how we do our business, how we go through the cases and what's important and what's not. A lot of people think certain details in a case are so important and they're nothing in a court case, correct? Right, that's so true. Yeah, how we work our cases differently from whatever angles and from whatever mindset also. I think that's so interesting. It's one of the things that I kind of love the most about our dynamic is that, again, we just come from our experiences are so different from the angles that we work the cases. We have talked about the fact that we are both truth seekers and that's really what it comes down to. We just, we'll get there in different ways. I'll tell you what really fascinated me is the day we came back interviewing people and you said, you do things so differently than I do. And I thought, gosh, I never even thought about that. Yeah, it's been a very big eye-opener for me, I, I just realized how small my bubble is and just that I've 
I do. I just have been doing the same thing for so long that I, I didn't even think outside of my scope of things, you know? I think what we just did in Texas, everybody was paired with somebody and the person that you did know how they work, you weren't paired with that person, Sheila. So each person got to see the dynamic of another investigator and see another way that they did things or interpret things or question somebody. I mean, that was a new experience for every single person that was there, whether they're experienced or not. That's true. And you know what, Danielle, you're exactly right. I would normally go with Mike. Right. And you and know I like work together. We we have a system. We just know. Right. Going with Catherine was a whole new experience. And that was another thing too. I have worked alone my entire life. So I'm not paired up with anyone ever in the field. I'm going out on my own. So when I, I've never seen another investigator work, that was one of the most remarkable things to me. And it just makes me realize how none of these ways are wrong. There's so many different ways you can do it. We're all getting to the same place, but differently. And that's what makes this job so exciting too. And what you can learn from each other. I'm just so grateful that I have both of you in my life doing this. And I'm just learning so much through the whole process. It's pretty, it's pretty incredible. I don't think I knew I was a terrible driver until you two came into my life. I think you did. Okay. Where are, where's that body language? I think you're lying. Join Sheila and I this season as we discuss some of the techniques that we have spoken about in this episode. Uh, we're going to talk about a whole host of things. It's going to be really interesting, but stick with us. Okay. We're just getting started as we take you through private eyes.